everybody, welcome in. Utopia Football Podcast. It is week 18 of the NFL season, and um, we've got a lot to get to. We have a mailbag that we've got to get to, a lot of good questions from you guys on the Texans and the NFL at large. Um, we got a lot of questions about the DeMar Hamlin um, incident from Monday Night Football that I think rather than just go through a bunch of questions, John and I will just share our thoughts on that because that's still, as we record this, it's still pretty fresh. Um, we're less than 24 hours removed from DeMar Hamlin suffering from cardiac arrest on the field in Cincinnati on Monday Night Football and being taken to a Cincinnati medical facility. Um, as of right now, his vital signs have been restored, but news is continuing to to matriculate out. It's kind of slowed down um, as of right now. As of this recording, he's in critical condition um, in the ICU at Cincinnati Medical Center. So we'll talk about the scene from Monday night, what it means going forward, how the NFL reacts to this, the reaction around the league, and so forth. As we welcome you in, I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, alongside the Hall of Famer, my good friend John McClain, who is, of course, our senior Texans columnist at SportsRadio610.com and GallerySports.com. John, do you have any – I mean, you've been covering this – this sport for nearly 50 years. And I saw your tweet last night that you had never seen anything like the scene we saw in Cincinnati on Monday night. And Sean, it, it wasn't just because of him having cardiac arrest. I've seen players get paralyzed mm-hmm. and uh, never play again. Hopefully Hamill will be able to come back and play. A soccer player was a hockey player was able to. And uh, when they, the, the hockey player took a puck in the heart, and then he collapsed. And so um, if you've got to have a heart attack or cardiac arrest, you can't be in the hospital, being in an NFL game has got to be the next best place because they have a situation like this accounted for at every stadium. They go over it with them. It's kind of like an emergency response team. Those guys were out there in 30 seconds. And um, at some point when he recovers, hopefully, and – and uh, and he's able to resume a normal life, then we'll find out who those first responders were mm-hmm. because they did an incredible job under so much pressure. You know, a game on national TV with players for both teams standing around, sellout crowd, everybody crying and hugging, and and yet they had to save his life. They had to they had to give him CPR and then they had to use a defibrillator to shock his heart back in. And uh, I just think those people did an incredible job and his family put out a statement talking about that, thanking everybody who'd been, uh, who, who was uh, participated in helping the son get where he is today. And I thought about Chuck Hughes. I was a senior in high school and Lions receiver Chuck Hughes, the only player in NFL history, died on the field. Mm-hmm. He died of a heart attack. He was a backup receiver. Uh, he was going back to the huddle, and he collapsed. And back then, they had called for a doctor out of the stands to come down, and they pounded on his chest to try to get it back. And today, they have such state-of-the-art of everything you could need for any kind of injury. Uh, hopefully, uh, he's going to be a very, very – 
lucky young man. And when he comes out of it and wonders what happened and his family tells him, well, you know that the uh, charity thing you did mm. for toys for two $2,500, it's up to like maybe by then it'll be $10 million. Right now it's approaching $5 million. And uh, But I felt terrible for the teams. Now everybody wants to know, okay, well, what happens next? It was such a big game, important for both of those teams, important for the Chiefs, had to do with home field advantage and a buy in AFC. What the best thing they can do, Sean, is they have the bye week before the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And they don't need two weeks. They start putting a bye week in so they can promote the Super Bowl and build up the hype. There have been times when they haven't had the bye week. Coaches and players would like to just get moving. So what I think is keep everything the way it is this weekend, push the playoffs back a week, and then let the Bengals and the Bills, they would know what they were playing for, but still let them play on what would be the first week of the bye week, and then you start the wild card one extra week, and there's no open date between the Super Bowl and the championship games. Hmm. That's interesting because you're you're moving a lot of stuff with 30 – well, I guess not with 30 other teams. I guess with 14 other teams given the, or 12 other teams, um, in the, uh, in the postseason, Um, that's interesting. I, I don't want to get too far down the weeds of what it means to the playoffs just because we're less than 24 hours from the kid collapsing on the field, Demar Hamlin. I do wonder, um, if I, I do wonder if all of a sudden that's almost like a disadvantage to be the number one seed at that point, given that it will have been three calendar weeks, in between football games, you know, two actual weekends off, but, you know, literally like 20 or 21 days in between football games for those teams. It's almost like a bowl game. <laughs> well, we've never, they've never dealt with this kind of situation before. Yeah. And, uh, and the bowl game, it certainly didn't hurt some of those teams that have been off for a month. You know, it didn't hurt Bryce Young, did it? No, no, but they're both, but both teams are off, you know, like you have one team coming in off of a game. I don't know. I'm just, I'm totally speculating. Like you said, it's a, it's an unprecedented situation. So I, I mean, if you had to, if you had to handicap it, do you think you, you, you sound pretty positive. This game is going to get played at some point. Because it means so much. It sounds callous to say this, but it's a fact. It has to do with home field advantage and a buy in AFC. If Cincinnati was leading seven to three over the Bills, if Cincinnati wins the game and the Chiefs beat the Raiders, the road to the Super Bowl goes through Arrowhead again. If Buffalo wins the last two or could win one, and if if the Chiefs lost at the Raiders, but I don't think anybody's going to count on that, then uh, Buffalo would get the home field advantage. And Cincinnati is not out of the running, it's a long shot for home field advantage, but uh, it, it's an important game involving so many teams, so many fans, and I do believe they will find a way to play it. If they didn't play it, they could count it as a tie, yep. which means it wouldn't count in the standings, which would still affect home field advantage in the bye. The, just to be clear, John, I don't, I don't know if I misheard you or not, but you said the Chiefs need to lose for Buffalo to get – home to get the number one seed. Is that what you said? If Buffalo wins, yep. Buffalo, if Buffalo loses to Cincinnati, wins yep. the last game, I think against New England, yep. they could get home field advantage if the Chiefs lost. If the Chiefs lose. Okay, I got you. Yeah, no, I was, I, I misheard you because, yeah, because the Bills, 
the Bills have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs from that week six game. I was at that game, um, the, the the Buffalo-Kansas City game, which which right now they end up not playing this Buffalo and Cincinnati game. Essentially, it's like that game in week six never happened. You know, if they if they just say, well, we're going to roll with the standings and, you know, Buffalo finishes 13 and three and the Chiefs finish 14 and three. And that's just how it's going to be. But you you seem to think that there's a good chance there will be a week of NFL football where there's just one game on the schedule, probably the most watched game of the year, if it's that, if that's the case, um, Buffalo and Cincinnati. And do they just pick it up where they left off at seven to three with six minutes to go in the first quarter? Yeah, I can't imagine they would start it over. They yeah. know exactly where they were. They know what the situation was. They want to play that game because it means so much to multiple teams. It's not like it didn't mean anything or it just meant something to them. And it would be an easy thing to do uh, to just eliminate that bye week, which they've yeah. done before. And uh, then you'd have to decide, okay, do you? it wouldn't be fair to move all of the games from the last weekend back a week. That'd affect everybody. Yeah. It's better to just affect the two teams. And they would get they would have uh extra time off to get ready for it. And we've seen uh tragedies and we've seen players players have um uh, when I see player player get paralyzed, mm-hmm. I remember I saw one with the Oilers. I've seen two involving Texans games and you see players get paralyzed and you're like, Oh my God, you know, because you put yourself in that situation. It's hard to put yourself into a Hamlin's situation because he had cardiac arrest. And hopefully the key thing about that, according to what I read is blood to the brain. They're doing everything they can to make sure that he has the brain, the blood flow to his brain that he needs. Hopefully he'll be like uh, some other athletes who've had cardiac arrest and they were able to make a full recovery. Yeah. Well, they, I guess they administered CPR for nine minutes before they got his pulse back, um, which according to some medical professionals who were texting our show today, at least we're trusting that they're not faking it on the text page, but multiple said that the nine minutes is, is on the shorter side of the amount of time that you would need to feel good about the chances that he got enough oxygen during the episode. Um, So yeah, hopefully it sounds like John, everything that as far as the news we could be getting about him in this situation, the news feels like that it's, it's skewing more towards the good side than the bad side with it, that they were restored as vitals. Um, They got a pulse back. Um, You know, the family, certainly the, 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 any of the communication coming from the family has felt positive, at least that they, I guess that they waited for his mom to get to the ambulance in the stadium was actually a good sign that they felt they had things under control. Yeah. Yeah. And and he also has the, the, he's in a trauma center Mm -hmm. and uh, that's even better. So he's getting the best possible medical care. And that they said it was like, it'd be like going from NRG stadium over the medical center, university of Cincinnati medical center was two minutes from the stadium. So all those things are, you hope are working to his advantage. Okay. So a few things, and then we'll get to the mailbag. Um, And if you want to email questions in, in the future, mailbag at gmail.com. Um, I, a couple things, John, you mentioned his charity. You're right. It's, I just checked it before you and I started recording and it was at nearly $4.3 million. 
and it was at 3.2 million when Seth and I started our show this morning in the six o'clock hour. So he's already added over a million dollars. I mean, this thing's going, it look, this thing looks like the debt ticker in Times Square. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just going up and up and up and up. You're right. Someone, if the first thing they show him is his, if the first thing they're holding in front of him when he comes to is a laptop open to that page, he's going to wonder how many years he was, he was out for, you know, like it's because it's it, John, it's the craziest looking thing. Have you been to his GoFundMe page with the numbers on there? No, I saw Andy Dalton. It contributed three after what the Bills fans did for his yep. charity a few years ago. He, it's it's the craziest thing because you, I mean, you've been to a GoFundMe page before. Obviously, yeah. it it tells you, it tells you how, where they're at with their accumulation of funds against a goal of dot dot <laughs> dot. And and his, I don't know if you knew this. His initial goal when he created this foundation, he created it when he was in college at Pitt to raise money to buy toys for the kids at his mom's daycare center. I mean, it's that specific <laughs> an endeavor, you know, like it's very specific. It's something that it's something really cool that a college kid that goes to a, you know, that goes to Pitt would be doing, you know, like I'm going to raise $2,000 for my mom's daycare center. And he just kept it open once he became a professional football player. And I don't know how much money it's accumulated through the years. I do know that last night when I first learned of it, it was at like $400,000, and so it's it's added, you know, it's it's added nearly four million um, since since then. But it just looks so funny, John, on the page. It's the GoFundMe page. <laughs> you know, you got this number, uh, money raised four four million three hundred fourteen thousand six hundred eighty two dollars against a goal of twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, it's- I thought it was great that people put that out there. The first one I saw do it was Tony Grossi from Cleveland. Yeah. And then others I knew nothing about it. And you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the people knew nothing about it. And I think it's great that they put it out there. And when he wakes up and he can function and he looks like looks at it, I'm guessing he's going to think, well, at least something good came of this. Well, and, 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 and yeah, sorry, John, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Right. I, 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 I almost think the magnitude of the numbers. I mean, you're not going to buy four million dollars worth of toys for a daycare center in Pitt. My guess is that there's going to be some sort of uh, either the American Heart Association or some heart related charity is about to get a huge donation. That's a great idea. And you know yeah. it's going to keep going up. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, John, is ESPN. What did you think of ESPN's coverage and treatment of the topic last night? Under the circumstances, sports writers, it's not like they brought in Robin Roberts and people from ABC. You know, they went to the studio with Susie Culber, Adam Schefter, and Booger McFarland, and I thought – they, under the circumstances, everybody did a tremendous job. They're not prepared for that. That's not what they're all about. And then when they went to Scott Van Pelt, you know, he's the best. Yeah. He was perfect. Ryan Clark did a tremendous job. I thought under the circumstances, the ESPN people did a tremendous job. I've really felt for Susie Culber, Booger McFarland, and Adam Schefter because at least Buck and Aikman were in the stadium where there were things they could describe or talk about or reports they were getting from Lisa Salters. I, people have no idea how hard it is to fill time sometimes when you're doing these things. And especially on a topic that's as sensitive and emotional as this. And I'm watching Booger and Schefter and Susie Colber. And once you get two minutes into that, what else is there to say? <laughs> you know, like what, how many different times can you say we're praying for the young man? 
We hope it all turns out well. Boy, how can these players go back out on the field? I thought Booger's emotion was a big um, – that that was pretty riveting, um, I thought. Uh, but, I, John, I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> I feel like a total wuss now. I remember the uh, a week ago when the Titans delayed the game by an hour and we had to extend the pregame show, Texans Countdown, <laughs> and Seth and I are in the break. We're like, man, okay, we're going to talk about this. we got to fill some time here. Boy, we need a Lovey Smith recorded interview. And I'm watching these guys last night on a national audience with millions of people watching with a, with a subject matter that's a million times more sensitive than the weather affecting the field and the electric blackouts in Nashville. You know, it's just – People don't realize, I think, or maybe they do, but just how hard, particularly the studio show, like they had nothing to work with other than what they were seeing on the telecast. And I'm with you. I like Van Pelt. I don't know if he's ever won an Emmy before. He's one of the best, but I don't know what the submission process is for that. I would submit the the hour of Sports Center that he and Ryan Clark did, commercial free, an hour before they were even supposed to go on the air. I mean, they, they picked up the slack at like 9.15 Houston time. They don't usually go to Sports Center until the game's over, which is like 10.30. And it's not like they went to them early and they said, all right, let's look at the NBA highlights for tonight. They went to them early and they're talking about a player who might have died on the field for all we knew last night. One of the good things, when they came on, they had time to get gas and they had time to learn more about it. And uh, but there's so many people who are praying, saying prayers on Twitter, and today same thing. People, people, uh, it just it seems to be the magnitude is blowing up, and it's not just in the it, not just in the U.S. I think that they said people from out out of the country now they got up in Europe and they're like, what what happened? And this has reached, extends beyond our borders. Yep. All right. So um, a lot to still, there's going to be a lot to unpack. That I, My guess is when we record our preview for the Colts and the Texans tomorrow, there'll be even more DeMar Hamlin news to talk about, I would guess. And maybe we'll know at that point what the league intends to do. Do you think the league is waiting for some sort of news, some sort of finite news about the player, about DeMar Hamlin, John, before they determine what their next course of action is? Yes, I think. And and based on the thing I read today, it's from a cardiologist, this is going to be a slow process about okay. his recovery. And he's not out of the woods. I think when they know when they're told by the trauma specialist of Cincinnati he's out of the woods, that's when they can announce what they're going to do as far as playing. I think the last thing on this, John, you mentioned the first responders. The best place to recognize them would be at the Super Bowl, I think. You know, they do that sometimes. Recognize they do that. You're right. That would be outstanding. Halftime of the Super Bowl, especially if Buffalo's in it and DeMar Hamlin survives this. I mean, it's it's um, it's a uh, it's a fascinating story, and hopefully it's got a, a, a good ending to it. Uh, all right, John, let's get into some mailbag questions on some much lighter topics than than that. We're not going to get to all these because we spent so much time talking about DeMar Hamlin, but that it's it, it is the topic, might be the topic of the season. Um, so far. All right, we'll start with our friend Chris in the ATL. He's a frequent emailer. He says, um, as we approach the new year, here's my question. He obviously sent this in before January 1st. Um, what should Nick Casario's number one New Year's resolution be for the Texans, specifically defining a resolution as a promise to do something differently in the new year? What should Nick Casario do differently this year, John? He should hire, he should hire a new head coach. 
and he should make sure that that head coach has no ties to the Patriots. As, as I said on Sports Radio 610, he's never changed planes in Logan Airport. He's never flown over Foxborough and make sure he gets the right guy. That's a great one. That is a great one. Nick has said, we all, it feels like for New Year's resolutions, John, we all deprive ourselves of something. We give something up. You know, we do it at Lent sometimes, those of us who are religious, those types of things. This is a bigger picture thing than Lent. This is a New Year's resolution. Yes, Nick Casario needs to give up Patriot-associated people and employing them for the Texans as his New Year's resolution. I like that. Chris also asked a bonus question, John. What was a New Year's resolution you two thought you could stick to and you blew it immediately? What's the What's the quickest you've ever blown a New Year's resolution? I've never made a New Year's resolution because I knew I would blow them. Mm-hmm. The one that I made was um, the the one that I made was um, was having a date night once a week with Amy, where my phone didn't come into play at any point <laughs> during the. I forget what year it was. It was pretty recently. It might have been when we got married. It might have been two years ago, uh, or before we got married. We got married in February of twenty twenty. It's yeah, the before last... you got married. You don't do things like that once you get married. Yeah, no, no, yeah. We've, if, I, although I've become, it's funny. Amy and I were talking about that, and we were talking about New Year's resolutions because I, um, because Seth and I were talking about a few of them on our show, like some New Year's resolutions that I have, you know, about about social media and like trying to, you know, build some extra things outside of the show and outside of this podcast and whatnot. And Amy's like, did you have any, uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions that have to do with, you know, being a husband or whatever? I said, I'm pretty comfortable with my body of work right now, Abe. I think I've become a better partner to you since we got married. And thankfully she agreed. She said, uh, I have gotten Congratulations. Thanks, John. I appreciate that very much. Um, I give credit to Soda Weight Loss, sodaweightloss.com. Um, Let's see. Let's get to another one here. Jeevan, our friend Jeevan. Should the Texans extend Laramie Tunsil or trade him? If the Texans chose to extend Tunsil, what steps can Nick Casario take to prevent a repeat of Watson and Cook's situations? Uh, and obviously both of the Watson situations over. Cook's, who knows what happens with that? This is relevant, John, because the reports that Laramie Tunsil is trying to become the highest paid tackle in football last week. Laramie Tunsil was the highest paid offensive lineman in history when he signed his last contract, you know, put the brakes on, you know, your left tackle, your run, run blocking is average. Your pass protection was really good this season. I wouldn't extend him. He's got another year left on his contract. They could franchise him after that. I want to see how he plays when the team turns around. Now, when he came here right before the start of the 2019 season, he played really well and helped him go to the playoffs. But right now you play great on this team and it doesn't mean squats. So I certainly wouldn't be in a rush to do it. I'm more interested in spending that money on bringing in players from other teams because Tunsil's not going anywhere if you don't want him to. Yeah. The other question that uh, Jeevan has is, if, and I see this a lot, and I look, I'll, I'll let you react to it, John. But and I love Jeevan, but this, this, I don't know. If Texans decide to move on from Lovey Smith and hire a young, offensive-minded coach, do you see a possibility of keeping Lovey around as a senior advisor like Romeo Cornell? I don't see it. No, I don't yeah. think Lovey would be around. I think uh, if the new head coach was somebody like, say, D'Amico Ryan's. D'Amico's been a coordinator for two years. He's going to need uh, with him former head coaches. Now, uh, 
to to serve, not just not, not like Romeo did, but actually be on the staff the way way Lovey was for David Cully. And uh, it might be on both sides of the ball. You have a former head coach. So uh, whether offense or defense, they, if it's a first-timer, you need guys with experience. Yep. Um, this is an interesting one from Joe Q, frequent emailer to the show or to the podcast. Mailbag at gmail.com, by the way, if you want to email us. Um, he says this. Imagine if the NFL had the equivalent of an antitrust enforcement, whereby if you if a team wins five division titles in a row – it has to trade either its quarterback or its head coach. And the Chiefs are on the verge, or they've, I believe they've clinched it. They've won the division five years in a row. If you're Clark Hunt, do you keep Andy Reid and trade Patrick Mahomes? And he says, I would say yes, but I'm guessing you are a, an NFW, which means no bleeping way on that. All right, that's those are interesting. And he gave me a few more hypotheticals. I'll bounce off you here, John. But Well, he, if they were legitimate, that wasn't even legitimate. Give me yeah. something legitimate. Okay. You don't like that's hypotheticals. Ever, no, because that's not ever going to happen. Give me something that could happen. I think it's a way of asking who do you think is more important, the head coach or the quarterback in that relationship? Well, the quarterback is, is most important in that relationship. Yeah. All right, I'm not even going to read the other ones then, John. I'll just wait till Joe for Joe to email me and laugh about how you shot down his question. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, this is another one. I don't know what. I don't know why our listeners are so intent on keeping guys around that that are bad at their jobs in some other capacity. This is, but I want. I like this email one because it's from outside the United States. I like that we have global listeners. Dan, uh, Dennis in Budapest. So we're big in Hungary, John. That's where Budapest is. Um, the Pep Hamilton offense leaves a lot to be desired, although I'm curious how it would function with significantly more talent. But we're all excited. We were all excited prior to the season based on Pep's previous work with starting QBs like Andrew Luck and Justin Herbert and his work last year with Mills. With that said, is there any possibility at all of hiring a big shot or high upside OC and retaining slash demoting Pep to QB coach? Do you know those are two cities? Buda and Pest are two oh, really? separate cities, yeah, I, separated by the Danube, I believe. I, I did not uh, no, know that. absolutely not. They would not consider keeping Pep Hamilton, who, yes, did a good job as a quarterback coach, and I think he'll be a quarterback coach the rest of his career. Yep. Um, all right, Wale in Virginia, another frequent emailer to the uh, to the podcast. Um, in my opinion, this is Wale saying this, not me, John. In my opinion, Lovey's done great with the talent provided for him and think he I think he should be retained. Here's my rationale. He's got five bullet points, John. I'm going to go these one at a time, and I want you to either tell me whether these are valid. Tell me whether these are for real or fugazi. How about that, John? An impromptu game of for real or fugazi with these. These are Wale's reasons why Lovey Smith should be retained for another year. They'll bend, but don't they'll bend, but don't break. The defense isn't the issue of this team. For real or Fugazi? That's for real. It's not the issue with the team. The issue is one of the worst the worst offense in the history of the Texans. If Lovey gets fired, it makes no sense to hire another defensive coach like D'Amico Ryans. For real or Fugazi? Well, for, why would you why does that make no sense? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. John, you don't have to go to offense from defense. If you like a defensive coach two times in a row or three times in a row, John? hire the guy. John, we're playing for real or Fugazi. Tell me what it is. And he said, keep him. I said, no, say no, no, no. He said, if Lovey gets fired, it makes no sense to hire another defensive coach. That's Fugazi. Okay, Fugazi, gotcha. Um, 
based on what we've heard, Lovey and Casario work well together. They do. They work yeah. really well together. That's, that's for true. real. For real. Okay, that's for real. Again, we're listing, this is Wale and Virginia. These are reasons why Lovey Smith should be retained. With a better OC, Mills would have progressed or stayed the same, better, which would mean better overall performance from the team. For real. Yep. Um, and yet these are all the three of the four for real. And yet I feel like we're arriving at a spot where Lovey should be hired. There are many options out there, such as Frank Wright, Frank Reich and other offensive coaches that got fired. For real, that's true. They did. Does any of this move you to keep Lovey Smith, John? Uh no. Yeah, I don't think so either. Sorry, Wally. Um, that's uh that, I can that's... see hiring Frank Reich as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. If you got D'Amico Ryan's or if you did other guys, you know, Shane Striking from the Eagles is coordinator actually calls the plays. Most of them don't if they work for an offensive uh, head coach, but no, I think the guy I would keep is Frank Ross, the special yeah. teams coach. Because I was looking at a website yesterday; he had them with the third best special teams in the NFL. This is a uh, this isn't a mailbag question, John. But as long as we're talking about coaches, I just want to bounce this off you because I bounced it off of Seth today. Um, I think Cliff Kingsbury is getting fired at the end of the year. I don't feel like that's a bold prediction, really, at all. They're they're going to wind up being one of the top three or four teams in the draft. Um, where do you think Cliff Kingsbury's next job is? I think he'll be an offensive coordinator, maybe in college, like he was going, like he'd been hired to do at USC before Arizona reached out to him. Um, he's got a body of work as a play caller in the NFL. He called the plays for three years. Now it's not his fault they're having to play four quarterbacks this year because of injuries, and they've lost a lot of close games. So it wouldn't surprise me if somebody wasn't interested in him and being an offensive coordinator if they wanted to play his style of system. Like I, they had a smaller quarterback who threw on the run. Love, yeah, there, there might be a team like that in the NFL next year might in this be. town. Well, there's um, going to be whether he's here or not. That's and, true. Uh, I would, I would definitely be interested in Kingsbury, who's coached a lot of those quarterbacks, done a good job, and 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 most of them. Now Mahomes is six two, but Mayfield's six foot, and he so he's and of course. Kyler Murray's 5'10", so he knows how to coach a smaller quarterback who throws on the run, throws in the pocket, slides left, slides right. It's imperative that they get a coach with experience of coaching and calling plays for a quarterback like that. I think the Aggies should back up the Brinks truck to make him their offensive coordinator. That's my... Ooh. Wouldn't that be a good one? That's a great idea. Yep, I think that's what I think. That's, that was my suggestion to Seth on the show today, and I bounced it off of Lopez, our resident Aggie, and he loved the idea. So I think that's a great idea. Yep, yep. Um, all right, John, uh, last couple here. These are just quickies. Uh, Enrique asked, can we get an annual Utopia mock draft episode? I, you and I will wind up doing something mock draft-ish, I'm sure, between now and April. Enrique, I'm going to say yes. I don't know what the format's going to be. And um, and I don't know if we involve other podcasts or whatever, but I, John, I people love the mock drafts, John. They just love the mock they, drafts. That's why I'm going to be doing them on Gallery Sports every week. Yeah, uh, I want to start next week after the Texans are done. I may wait till after the Super Bowl. I'm going to the Combine, so I'm fired up about doing mock drafts, which I've done for almost fifty years. What did you think of C.J. Stroud in the uh, in the uh, uh, Peach Bowl against he Georgia? Great. Yeah. He had not he had not played a great game from start to finish against a great 
team that I can remember. Now, what Bryce Young did against Kansas State, he'd been doing for two years. But Stroud had been kind of streaky, and he was tremendous against the best team in the country, loaded with NFL prospects. And if anybody was thinking that Bryce Young was way ahead of Stroud, they probably had to pump the brakes and say, whoa, we got to consider this guy. And we don't know. Maybe Nick Casario ends up liking Will Levis. Maybe he decides he's going to stick with uh, 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 Davis Mills. Maybe he wants to sign Jimmy Garoppolo. He was really close at New England with uh, Jared Stidham because when he was drafted up there and he was the third quarterback, Casario in camp and practice worked with him a lot. And I was told they were close. And that's why I thought Stidham would end up here. And based on that game that he had against San Francisco, the best defense in the league, he may have multiple options about where he wants to go. But I still hope he uses his first pick, hopefully first overall, on the quarterback he wants and then develop him. Yeah. Well, we know this we know. If they like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, if they like them both, they're guaranteed to wind up with one of them. If they like them, I say like them, like them enough to take them at or near the top of the draft. You know, they like him high in the draft. He might like C.J. Stroud, but say, you know what? I like him, but we'll wait and see if he's sitting there when, when my Cleveland pick rolls around at 10 or whatever it winds yeah. up being. Yeah, he'll be long gone. He'll be gone. He'll be gone by a lot of quarterback needy teams uh, in this year's draft. There sure are, unfortunately. There's Will Anderson Jr., there's Jalen Carter, and then there's the quarterbacks. That's right. That's right. Well, the Texans will get one of them. That's for sure, unless they decide to – unless they decide to to move back in the draft. Uh, John, last one on our way out, Dave Howard. I heard it said that Sam Ellinger may start for the Colts this Sunday. As an ex-UT or as a UTX, it gives me someone to root for so I don't have to actively root against the Texans and root for them to lose, which is painful. So, yeah, you horns out there can rationalize rooting against the Texans as just rooting for Sam Ellinger, who is going to start, by the way, for the Colts, right, John? I'm rooting for Sam Ellinger, and uh, I think the fact that he's starting over Foles and Ryan, he's going to want to play well. His future's at stake. He's got all of his fans like Dave, uh, all the Longhorns watching him. So Texas is going to get the best of what Sam Ellinger has. He's been very inconsistent. You know, it'd be just like the Texas to screw up his top pick. But after the effort they put out against Jacksonville, I feel pretty comfortable they'll blow this one and get the top pick like everybody wants. I do, too. We'll talk more about this tomorrow, John, when we actually preview the game. I think someone's got to preview this game, I suppose. What a nightmare. Um, it's Literally, I think it's the two worst teams in football right now. Um, but I, do, I was looking at the Colts roster just because I started doing some digging here for, for this week. And you look at their roster, you look at who played for them in the game. I mean, they got routed by the Giants, obviously. But you look at, like, of the, like, six best players playing in this game on Sunday, like, five of them are Colts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they've still got guys who, uh, you know, that'd be interesting to look at. Like, how many Texans would start for the Colts and how many Colts would start for the Texans, that kind of thing. Because they've still got guys on the team, most of them in the trenches, both on defense and offense, um, but they got Michael Pittman, you know, catching the football as as a wide receiver. Um, you know, they've they've still got a few players there. I it'll be interesting. I I wonder, you know, just, I think it's just going to come down to 
probably motivation. Like who's the more motivated team to win this game, I guess. Is the Texans advantage to the Texans advantage that Jonathan Taylor's not playing because he's killed them. Yes. Last three times he's played against them, both games last year and the first one this year. And uh, the Colts are better than the Texans of the, of the six key statistics. The Colts are better than them in five. The Colts have a better offense. They have a better running game and they have a better passing game. They have a better defense. They have they're better against the run, but the Texans have the best pass defense. Yeah. I think Sam Ellinger gives the Colts a better chance to win than Nick Foles. Nick Foles getting hurt was the best thing that could have happened if you're a Texan fan wanting to get the number one pick. Yes, I agree. Which is wild to say. All right, John, what do you got going on on the various platforms that you're part of out there? Some of the things we just covered I'm, in my observations for Sports Radio 610 about as bad as the Colts are, the Texans are worse. And if the Texans put out the same amount of effort against the Colts as they did against the Jaguars, the number one pick is secure. And the column I'm writing for Wednesday on Gallery Sports is my awards from MVP, coach, Ooh. executive, offense, defense, offensive player, defensive player. Ooh, okay. I can't wait. When is that one coming out? That'll be out on Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, cool. That's tomorrow. So we can we can talk about that one tomorrow on the pod. Good. Uh, little for real or fugazi. Uh, I'll I'll give you mine and you can say if, I'll give you my awards and you can say if they're for real or fugazi and then you can uh, t- you can tell me if uh, tell me who yours are. Do it. I think that uh, that we will be picking almost all of them the same. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That'll be fun. All right. So that'll be tomorrow's podcast. We appreciate everybody emailing in questions. We were pretty heavy on Demar Hamlin this week, so we got a lot of extra questions that I think will still evergreen nicely once the season is over next week. So if we didn't get to your question, fret not, faithful listener. We may get to it here in the future as we embark on draft season coming up uh, starting next week. And we'll go from three episodes a week to two episodes a week, just FYI. So we'll get the schedule all hammered out on that as well. Um, We thank Figgy Fig for getting the podcast out to all of you. Great job, Figgy, for getting the podcast to all the listeners. We appreciate you guys downloading, sharing it with friends, uh, giving it a five-star review, subscribing to it is big. Click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. So you don't have to even think about it. The Utopia Football Podcast shows up on your uh, on your your mobile device or your computer wherever you listen to your podcast. For the Hall of Famer John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We'll see you all tomorrow for the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>